Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, licensed marriage and family therapist and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Welcome. No one is quite fully prepared for losing their spouse, regardless if the loss is sudden or expected. We can be blindsided by feelings that may arise or logistics we hadn't even realized would be an issue. It's hard to dissect your new roles in your life and harder still to both grieve and find yourself again. Helping me to navigate this painful and maybe even scary topic today, I have my colleague and mentor, Janet Crow. Janet graduated from Arizona State University and subsequently worked in the oil industry as an entrepreneur for over three decades. After becoming a widow in 2002, she pursued a master's in counseling, graduating from Houston Graduate School of Theology in 2007. Janet's 12 years of experience as a licensed professional counselor includes group and individual therapy sessions with adolescents, adults, and couples. She enjoys working with families to find their new norm when faced with difficult circumstances, as well as parents of teens who are navigating life changes. She is diligent in working with women dealing with depression, as well as couples whose relationship needs a tune-up. Welcome, Janet. I wanted to get started with just tell us your story, your journey. I had a very good career, happy career in oil and gas. And in 1997, I got a phone call that my husband had had a stroke at his office and which led to a massive stroke that left him debilitated and was not able to talk, move, do anything. And he lived that way for five years. And our son was 12 when he had a stroke. After 18 months, we moved him home to try to find some normalcy in our lives, modified our house, had nurses, etc., but to live normal. And we had a wheelchair van, and even though Ken couldn't talk, he went to Drew's basketball games. He, we took him to dinners, tried to make life normal. And then he passed away in 2002. I was really searching for maybe I was supposed to do something different with my life, even though I loved what I did in oil and gas. I had a past a minister say, have you thought about going to get a counseling degree? So I went not knowing what I would do with it. I can tell you it helped me grieve the loss of my husband. I didn't know grief was necessary when he died, and I've been uh, doing therapy since 2007. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty incredible, transformative, not in a positive way necessarily, but journey that you've been on that led you to this field. And, you know, I know there's plenty of clients out there that are very grateful you ended up in this field. But today, so what we're talking about today is something pretty close to your heart, which is loss of a spouse. What do we do? What does it look like? You know, loss of a spouse is related to a lot of poor health outcomes. Mentally, physically, we decline a lot, you know, generally speaking, when we lose a a partner. And there's good attachment research that shows that, you know, we need those connections. We need a connection. And so I want to start today with just talking about managing 
our expectations and, and understanding our needs and our partnerships? And can you speak a little bit to the way we view partnerships in marriage? Well, I think the biggest adjustment when you lose a spouse, and before I get into the details, I just want to say, because I, I work with a lot of clients that have had ill husbands that then pass away. When you have an ill husband, that is a loss. You know, uh, grief is not just death, it's losses. And I know for me, I feel we really, Drew lost his dad, I lost my husband when he got, when he had the stroke, because he was no longer there. And then you physically lose them in death. Mm -hmm. But you really have to grieve both those losses. And I find for people I work with, the first loss, and it was for me, is the hardest. Because what happens, so when we lose a parent, uh, particularly if we're older, they're not a part of our daily lives. We haven't chosen to share responsibilities with them. And when we lose children, which is so devastating, again, it's a different role. Yeah. But in a marriage, this is someone you've chosen to share responsibility, share your life, and be with. They're in your life 24-7. Mm-hmm. And so when they either get ill and can't fill that role or they die, all of a sudden you're left doing everything on your own, whether it's sharing, you know, all of a sudden you're responsible for all the finances and you're responsible for all the parenting Mm -hmm. and you're responsible for still commitments socially. And the big adjustment is knowing that you have to do this on your own and really not knowing who to ask for help. Yeah. Everybody offers initially, what can I do? I'm here for you. And they they mean it. Their intentions are good. But the change for you is lifelong. And most people that offer are thinking it's a very short-term, immediate need. Uh, like, can I drive your son to a ball game or can I drop him off? But, you know, these these changes are permanent for you. And so it, it's really having to reinvent your role as a parent, your role as a person. Mm -hmm. And again, because after a few months, friends that would normally ask you and your husband to do things, don't ask just you because they're not comfortable. I think the hardest thing is of expectation is realizing you have to ask for what you need because your friends don't know what you need. They're so uncomfortable being around you. Uh, They don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And so I think for the expectations, it's really um, having to ask for that. And the other thing is realizing you are on your own now, and it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Self-care is so important, and particularly if the death is after an illness, because you have been running on empty for a long time. Yeah. And I think on top of that, being able to, you know, my, um, a little personal note, my mother-in-law, my husband's mom, had an aneurysm in 2005 that left her, you know, pretty ill, unable to take care of herself and take care of the household the way she had. And they had a pretty traditional marriage where she took most of the domestic duties on and my father-in-law would work all the time. And when she had her aneurysm, and Paul, my husband, talks about a lot how that was a grief. He talks about that as grief a lot. Um, but the other thing that I noticed with them is, and and I, I don't know if this is a generational thing, but I see it a lot in my clients, is willing to accept help from others. 
You know, we just, we don't want people to see what's going on. We don't want people to know we're struggling. And so just not being willing to, when people offer help, accept it. And then they stop ask, offering it. You know, and I think that's important too, is, is people get benefit out of helping others and, you know, being able, was that hard for you? Do you think when people would offer help? It was at first, you know, and after my husband passed away, I actually spoke a lot that accepting help and how to accept it, it's not a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And if you think about how much we get out of helping people, how come we don't want other people to have that experience? And so I've actually talked on that a lot because I was, I'm going to admit my age now, this was 1998, and I am a woman of the 90s, and I don't need any help, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and my church, St. Luke, said, we'd like to help you. We have put together this second family to help you. Nope, somebody else needs it worse than me, somebody else. And I will tell you, that is when my life changed, Mm -hmm. is when I said, They didn't give me a chance to say no. Mm -hmm. So saying that, I I tell people this a lot. If you have a friend that's lost someone or struggling and they don't need it and they say they're fine, still drop off a meal because I promise you they're going to come back and say thank you. So again, it is hard. And to be honest, sometimes we don't know what we need. We don't know what to ask for. You know, particularly if it's a sudden death, you're in shock. And even when it was a five-year thing, but when Ken actually died, it was hard. And because then you had accommodated your life to dealing with him ill, and now you're accommodating to dealing it with him being gone. So it's another adjustment. Just realize that we all need help at times. And just remember the times you helped someone and they appreciated it. Give someone else you know a chance to do that for you. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a It's a gift to be able to help people. It feels so good that you are able to do that. And we don't realize that. We're we're just more worried about burdening other people or or the way they view us. So and to follow up on that, Tracy, and I think COVID has reinforced this. We are meant to live in community, not in isolation. Yes. And so um, we do need that support. And along that line, that's why people that have lost people during COVID, it's been so hard because we haven't had the ability to have funerals and feel that community support and have some closure. Mm -hmm. And that has really led people to need counseling more than ever to have a place. Um, I personally lost my mother during COVID. Mm -hmm. And even though I know what you're supposed to do, I know for me, not having a way to be with people that knew her and share stories and have some closures has been hard. Yeah. Yeah, because talking about people we've lost is so important. It's such a big part of that grieving process, that processing those memories and that, you know, love and those positive things. So I agree. We've lost a lot of that. We've lost a lot of the village. I talk about this a lot with parents, with, you know, single parents, with people who've lost somebody, people dealing with anything. Every every single one of us has lost some of our village, you know. And even like office, like a lot of relationships come out of offices, but people aren't going into the office. So we're losing even that community. And so it's been hard. Well, and I think the thing we've lost in COVID is the power of a hug. Oh, yeah. And we, we aren't getting those. Yeah. And, you know, just that, you know, studies have shown that physical touch is critical in healing. Mm-hmm. And 
for everything. Like we oh, are, yeah. we're meant for connection. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I want to talk about, so we're talking about roles and finding new roles and what that looks like. And I was talking about my mother-in-law and father-in-law and how they had to refigure out the roles. But it's just, it's, I think when you lose a spouse, you know, like you were saying with the, you know, it's different when you lose a child, it's different than when you lose a parent. When you lose a spouse, it's this person that you expected to have this balance with forever, that we're going to lean on each other. We have these roles. You take care of this. I take care of this. And you don't think about what a life would look like without them. Like we don't get married to think about what life looks like to not be married, you know? And so how do you, how does this get so disrupted? What happens when we lose a spouse, when we lose that partner's ability to be in the role that they have been in, in our marriage? Well, I think it, it's a, it's an ever-changing role, I, I will say. I have now been a widow for almost 19 years. Mm-hmm. And when I work with clients and we talk about them, you know, dating again and so forth, and, you know, and they'll say, well, why didn't you? And I said, well, you know, it's just something that, you know, I, I'm too old for that now. And they'll say, well, how old were you when he passed away? And I'll go, 48. I forget my age. But when it happened for me and Unfortunately, I did not go see a therapist. I wish I had of. I think I would have handled it differently. And that's where I share that with my clients. I was so consumed with making sure my son, my son's life was okay that I put my own life on hold. And I would really encourage people not to do that. And And the other thing is even if your children are younger and you lose them, let them see your grief. It helps you not go through it alone and and let them even pick up some things and let them know that when you have a bad day that that it's just a hard day, give me a break today. Just doing that takes some pressure off. And again, you really have to find what you what you need help with. What are your strengths? And what are your weaknesses? My son was 12 um, in the midst of puberty, which is a stage I didn't like him anyway, even before his dad got sick. (laughs) (laughs) That was my least least favorite age. But I asked some other dads to step in and fill that role. So I really think you need to look at what your strengths are and and where you're struggling. And it, it is accepting that there's been two of you doing this. You don't have to do it alone. And... I think it's also okay to lower the expectations. Like, you know, like when there were two of us, you could be in two sports or you could, I could be involved in things outside my own life. You have to reassess and find balance and prioritize where you want your time. Because mm-hmm. some things have to give. When there's one parent instead of two, it, it just something has to give. And sometimes it needs to give financially too. Some people are, are fortunate when they lose a spouse that there aren't financial hiccups, but that is not the case for, for most people. And particularly when you have a husband that's maybe been ill before, so you've maybe lost an income and then you've had expenses the go The medical up. bills, yeah. So, you know, I found we made adjustments that, you know, when he got sick, and again, we still had a nice life, but it's still adjusting and leaning on people that, that can support you. And that's where a lot of times groups help, mm-hmm. in addition to individual, is hearing how other people are handling this and feeling that you're not alone, that you're not the only person. And I will say uh, the clients that I work with with grief, they think I get what they're going through because mm-hmm. I've been through it. I mean, they, that's why they come see me. Mm-hmm. I never intended to do grief work. 
but I get it. I understand where they're at. And I think the biggest thing when you're adjusting to, and they're going to change. A role as a a single mom when my son was in high school was one thing. When it was in college, Mm -hmm. it was another. When he was starting out on his own. And even now, uh, he's independent, married, has his own family. But those roles change. And you find, like, I have grandchildren now. And so, like, I have tried to make a point how to keep their grandfather in their life, to know who he was. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that when he passed away. I wish I had put some things together then, mm-hmm. but it's made me now go think, what are some things I can show them when they get older? Like, this is who your daddy's dad was, mm-hmm. and this is what he did. And that rolls up to us. And when we're in the new in grief, we don't think about that because we're in survival mode. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, as you're transitioning, is if something's too hard, stop. Yeah. You don't have to do it. Yeah. You'll be able to do it again one day. And there is no timeline for when you can do it. We are all different. Yes. And if it takes five years, it takes five years. And if it takes two, it takes two. We're all different. So give yourself permission. If something's too hard to do that that your husband or wife was involved in with you, then just don't do it. Take mm-hmm. a break. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. You just said so much good stuff. I don't even know where to go. So one of the things you mentioned that I just want to reinforce is how, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. We all have our areas that we're really good in and our areas that we're not great in. And I think especially when it comes to parenting or generally we're a high expectation society. Um, We put high expectations on ourselves, but being okay with that, you're not going to be able to do it all. You know, whatever you can, whatever your strengths are, stick with those. And then whatever you need help with, be okay with that, you know, and modeling that. The other thing you said was, about letting your kids see your grief. So important. You know, the kids kids learn how to function in the world from what they see in their parents. And seeing pain, seeing struggle, seeing those are all parts of life that they will have to deal with. You can't shield them from it forever. So I love that you said that. One of the things that came up while you were just talking for me, and I don't think I put this in the original questions I sent you, but re-grief. How, and I talk about this a lot with kids because at different stages, kids understand death differently. Mm-hmm. And um, and lost differently based on just where their development is. But that happens for all of us is what you just said is, you know, you came into grandparent role and there was a whole new stage of grief that you had to address and how we just are continuously addressing griefs that we've experienced. Yeah, it's interesting. And when you say that, like I have grieved Ken's loss, but I'm emotional right now Yeah, because there are times that even though you've grieved it and I'm not in pain, but I just miss that. I can't share this with him. Right. And and like I said, and so I never thought about needing to find a way to share his likes and wants with my grandchildren. Yeah. You know, and so it is. We go through adjustments. And like even when my son, you know, graduated from college and went on my own, even though he was at college, I lived alone. But now I really live alone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's an adjustment. Yeah. And, and what's really important is to, to show not only to, to show your grief to your children, to let them know they need to grieve also. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the statement was made the night my husband passed, we were in the hospital and the surgeon that had done his original brain surgery when he had the bleed was there. And his words to Drew were, you need to take care of your mom. Mm. And 
uh, if I can reiterate, you need to, I said, no, I'm still the mom. But you need to know that you can support each other, mm -hmm. but they're not responsible for you. Yes. And that's really important, even for um, people that um, whose kids are maybe 12, 13. Mm -hmm. At that age, um, it's so ingrained in society that, you know, men are supposed to do certain roles mm -hmm. and it's changing. And I'm so grateful for that. But even at that young age, but to, to also let them experience their grief. And I really encourage people to that, that I know that are that meet with me on grief, that their kids have a safe place to talk about their grief and share their concerns about their parent mm -hmm. and whatever. And and to open up that dialogue with each other, like, you know, like, you know, I'm scared or I, I mom, I don't see you doing this or whatever. And and let them know you can talk about it, but you're not their responsibility. Yeah. Um, that that is something that comes across um like I think we forget, and and I am guilty of this at times myself, that when we lose a spouse, our children lost a parent. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget that. Yes. Or even uh, their parents lost a son or a daughter. We get kind of caught up in ours. Mm. So I think it's important to remember that. I'm almost stuck right now because that's making me think of, to be personal again, you know, my mother-in-law, I said, had an aneurysm in 2005. My father-in-law took care of her. He changed his life around to be able to support her and take care of her. And she just went with him everywhere. And then, so we just expected he would outlive her. He was always a healthy one. And, you know, right before this pandemic hit in February, we actually lost him to pancreatic cancer. And so it was just, it was something we weren't prepared for, which I feel like when you lose a spouse, it's usually something you're just not prepared for. Yeah. And that has been something that comes up is, you know, my mother-in-law's grief versus my husband's grief versus my brother-in-law's grief, you know, the parent grief versus the child grief. And how that it is different. You are experiencing different types of losses, but that both are valid and have value. And that's where I tell clients, never minimize your grief. It is your grief. Mm -hmm. um, people say, well, yeah, they lost. No, everybody's loss is their loss. I really encourage not minimizing that. Because mm -hmm. for you, it is a huge loss in remembering. And, you know, just to follow up to what you just said, and this is asking for help, so when we don't ask for help and we don't implement self-care, then there is a higher chance of something happening to us. Yeah. And, you know, studies have shown, you know, codependency is someone that puts everybody else ahead of themselves and no self-care. Those people will be sicker than the, the people they're taking care of because we can't run physically, emotionally without it. And so when we're focusing on someone else, and it's kind of like I I really emphasize with people I work with that you've got to take care of you. Because if you don't take care of you, then mm -hmm. you can't be there for all these people that you feel responsible for. Yes. And that is probably um, one of the things I emphasize the most because of my own life. And I'll share another brief personal story, if it's okay. And sure. kind of hope my son doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> six months into... Ken had just come out of the coma. It had been six months, and he was in a brain rehab in the woodlands. And it was Christmas, and Christmas is a big deal at our house. And I said to my son, I said, so what do you want to do for the holidays? And even though I have a brother who's a doctor, I'm not a big doctor person. I don't go unless I'm really, really, really sick. Mm -hmm. And so he said, Mom, I'd like you to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And I said, let me go to the doctor. 
And he looked at me and he said, because if I lose you, I have nobody. Oh, wow. And that is what stuck with me. And I've shared that with so many clients because if we don't take care of ourselves and fast forward to 2013, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was early and treatable and I am in remission. And I promise you if that 13 year old boy, if I had not made that promise to, to annually Go to, the doctor. go to the doctor, it would have never been caught early. Mm-hmm. So that taking care of yourself mm-hmm. is so important. It is not selfish. It is really just being a steward of this body that was given to you. Yes. And sometimes we need to ask for help to do that. So yeah. if you want to be there to support all these people that you love, just like you talked about your father-in-law, mm-hmm. he was so... But that's why it's so important to, to take care of ourselves when we're in these situations. Mm-hmm. And unresolved grief can create physical issues, mm-hmm. uh, emotional issues, depression, anxiety. It can create trust issues. It can create substance abuse issues, intimacy issues. Unresolved grief is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to really work on getting these feelings that are in you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many times grief comes up in therapy, um, as you know, and you you recommended this book forever. And it's one of my favorite books now. I think a few years ago you recommended it, the Alan Wolfelt book. Oh my gosh. And how you go through all all these different losses and how they all get triggered each time there's a new loss and how to process them. And it's just been life-changing. But it, it is like you have to take care of yourself. You have to be aware of those things and you have to figure out how to grieve. You know, um, something I did notice a lot because this is we talk to parents about this all the time, right? Take care of yourself. If you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. Right. But I don't think that me- – and I think that message is loud and clear out in the world. But I don't think that message goes to caretakers, people with caretaker burden, you know. And uh, when I was trying to support my husband through this journey and dealing with my own grief related to it um, because I was close to my father-in-law – And I joined a pancreatic cancer caregiver just to kind of see what people said, what people were doing, how people were handling it. But what came up a lot was not wanting, not allowing yourself to grieve. That came up a lot. Like I'm hurting and I'm struggling, but not as much as my spouse, not as much as this person I'm taking care of who's going through this horrible cancer experience, you know? And so it was almost just like they would dismiss their grief in the same statement they would say, I'm struggling. And that was so powerful for me to see and recognize like, yes, as a caregiver, you have to take care of yourself too. Any caregiver role. Absolutely. And now they really have different groups for that to mm-hmm. reinforce because you can't take care of someone else if, if you, you know, if you aren't physically and emotionally okay. And yeah. you're absolutely right. It, it, it's so important um, to do that. And that's where it gets back to your original question of, asking for help. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a sign of weakness. And it's just realizing that all of us at times go through difficult times and we need a little someone and we lean, need someone new to lean on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And knowing who your people are, but also being willing to find new people. Like with this pandemic, I've lost access to most of my support system. We're all very careful. We don't see each other a lot. We're all under a lot of stress. And so figuring out who my new support system can be. They're not gone, my old support system. I still have them. It just looks very different. And so who do I lean on now? How do I reach out now? I think it's been so important. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I will say and realize that just because people aren't in your life anymore, it's not that they didn't care. I, I, I've now learned, I think we have people in our life for seasons. Mm -hmm. um, if I look at my friend group today versus when my husband got sick, mm -hmm. it's totally different. Yeah. But that's that transition of my life changing. Sure. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that those people, if I went to them, they would still do something for me, but our lives just took different paths mm -hmm. because there's two of them. There's one of me. Um, people, I think people, couples are more uncomfortable asking a single than a single is being with couples. Like mm -hmm. I'm fine being around couples. I, I don't feel out of place. But they're uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you just kind of have to find that group, like you said, that that mm -hmm. works for that and, yeah. uh, and and make that work. Yeah. And when I was actually that brings up another good point that I didn't put in the questions, but that I'd been thinking about was when we're married, a lot of our friends are other married people like we are couple groups. Mm -hmm. We couple together as a unit and then we get with other units. And so a lot of our relationships are based in that in that marriage unit idea. What does that look like? Or what would you tell people who, you know, are having to rediscover friend groups who it, maybe it even is, is painful for them to go with these couples and know that their spouse isn't there? Well, and I, I think that's a really good question. And I think everybody's different mm -hmm. um, about that. But I think it's really finding the friends that are okay with where you're at and, and you just, and, and, and you have to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I signed up for a couple of women Bible studies um, after, you know, I had some, all this time all of a sudden, right? Um, and um, I met new people and like, I met a couple of people in those that have become such dear friends. Um, I can't imagine. So I think you just kind of find this new, um, and, and you'll keep some of them, but again, and it's okay, and we all do it, to have pity parties. But you cannot live in the pity party. Sure. Uh, it's okay to have like, well, how come, no, if I've heard this once a zillion times, well, no one calls me, no one checks on me. I hear that's hard. So call and tell someone and say, look, you know, I really wish you'd check on me once a week. They can't read your mind. Mm -mm. They don't know what you need. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I did this, oh, it was probably seven or eight years after my husband passed away, it was really after his dad passed away. Because while his dad was alive, his dad would always call me on his birthday, our anniversary. So I became close to his dad because he remembered it. But my own parents didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so after he died, I realized, and, and I realized on those days, it wasn't my son's responsibility to call me. He had a loss too, right? That's mm -hmm. where I'm saying we forget we're not the only one going through yeah. this. So I, I reached out to my own family and said, you know, I kind of feel like you all don't know that he even existed. Like I don't hear from you on his birthday or my anniversary and it would really be nice. And it just kind of went in one ear and out the other with, with my mom, mm -hmm. who I thought would be the one. But my brother, to this day, calls or sends me a card on those days. That's beautiful. He has never forgotten. And my husband passed away on his wedding anniversary. Wow. Um, and so uh, he still calls or emails me those days. So find out um, who you can. Uh, Paula D'Arcy uh, wrote a book um, 
How to Grieve with a Friend. And it is a great book because it really just tells you how to be there. And I read it because I had a friend lose a grandson before I lost my husband. But it was so helpful and it really helped me realize it's okay that holidays look different and be okay with that. Yeah. It's just not the same this year and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And if it's too hard, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of really helps give you permission to do that. Your life is different. I think that's the acceptance for you. That's grieving is like, my life is different. It's mm-hmm. not the same. And I'll miss it at times. But the thing I guess I want to make sure everyone hears there is no shortcut or there is no way around pain, Mm -hmm. grieving the loss. You have to sit in it and work through it. And if you don't, that's that unresolved grief, it will impact you in so many unhealthy ways. Um, It's hard. And and again, grieving does not mean you're forgetting somebody, but it's, it's converting pain into memories. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. You were talking about that book about how to be a friend. And I think when you said about your mom and asking people to check in, I think people are uncomfortable. They get uncomfortable. They don't want to remind us of our pain as if it goes away, as if it disappears. And um, they don't know what to say. And I think a lot of people are just afraid of having to feel the feelings that people in grief are feeling. And so I want to know, and you kind of have mentioned this a little bit, but I kind of want to dig a little further in, and I know we're running out of time here, but um, what do you think it's most important for friends and family of somebody who has lost somebody to know, to really understand? I think to understand is don't try to fix their feelings. Ask them what they need and just sit with them. Sometimes all we need is someone just to sit there. Yeah. And get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Exactly. And and ask what we need. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what would be the most help? But like, if there's things, you know, that you can do, do it. And they may say they don't need it. Um, it's interesting. I've, shared this more than once. It's like when someone's going through things, well, no, I'm fine. I don't need anything. I said, I've never seen anyone. If you just drop off a meal that said, oh, I don't want it Mm -hmm. and go with the intent. If they throw it away, it's okay. But you would be surprised. Um, even though I'm telling you all these things, when I went through breast cancer and a lot of my friends said, and I said, really, you know, I don't even know what I'm going to want. I don't, I'm really okay. And two days into it, a friend stopped by with chicken noodle soup. And I'm going to tell you, it was the best chicken noodle soup I've ever had. And it was just because I needed that. But what I needed is just to talk to someone for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan Wolfelt, when I went to his seminar, um, I think um, I'm going to share this last story for, I guess, we wrap up. So... The reason people started back in the 1800s of taking a meal when someone died was, number one, they knew they were busy. But the second part of that, there were two parts to it. Mm -hmm. It was taking the dish, but it was picking the dish up. Mm -hmm. Because when you pick the dish up, you could... the. You could see the person, you could check on them. You could see like, wow, they haven't taken a shower in three days or they're not eating or they're, you know, like, you know, they're or whatever, or they seem to be, or just talk, just a voice to talk to. Mm -hmm. Well, because of um, Tupperware, we don't go pick up our dishes. Mm. I think that is such a lost thing. And that's why I said just, you know, and, and when I say that, I don't mean the week after. I'm talking three months after, yes. six months after. Thank you for saying that, yes. A year after. Just stop by and say, hey, just wanted to stop by and say hello today. Mm-hmm. Or look, I was thinking of you and I just thought I'd drop this by. We do it all in the moment. Yep. And that's why year two in grief is harder than year one. Yes. 
because the first year, everyone checks on you. It's mm. Christmas. It's a birthday. Second year, nobody nobody does. Yeah. You really go through it alone. Yeah. And I think, you know, we just have such a grief happens at the funeral and that's it. You know, we bring food over that week while they're preparing for the funeral. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a lot of us forget about people. And, you know, even I'm guilty of this. But research says that, you know, six months out, nobody's checking in on this person. And this person is feeling their grief more than ever because the busyness gives them a break. You know, we talk a lot about kids take grief breaks. They go run and play. Mm -hmm. You'll see them on a funeral plane, even though they're sad, even if they yeah. lost a parent, they can take a break from it. And we don't have that opportunity if nobody is there. We're just sitting in it. And the other thing when you said about kids, remember, we all grieve differently. Mm -hmm. Don't don't expect someone to say, well, I'd have been over it. Well, you may have. They're not. D don't judge. We all deal with grief differently. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, I wait a few weeks before I send sympathy cards because I want someone to get it when they're not a little bit later to know someone's still remembering them. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah. So think about little things like that when mm -hmm. you know somebody that, that you know is going through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said, my, my mother-in-law's aneurysm was 2005 and there's grief with that. My husband's still grieving that, you know, and we're in, we're 15 years, years out from yeah. that. Right. And, um, you know, and obviously my, my father-in-law has been gone for a little over, we just had the one year anniversary of his death and we're grieving that too. You know, grief doesn't, it just doesn't really end. It just looks different over time, I feel like. It does, because the person's still gone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this. I was just going to give you an opportunity. If there's anything else you want to leave people listening who are grieving or who are maybe have a sick spouse or they're a caretaker and, and that, you know, that complete loss is on the way, uh, what you have, what words would you like to leave them with? Well, number one, take care of yourself. And number two, even if it's not with a fit therapist, Find somewhere regularly you have a break that you, you aren't thinking about that, whether it's a therapist meeting a friend. During my husband's illness, I laughed. My best friend was Nora Roberts. <laughs> For 30, 40 minutes a day, I read mindless that mindless book. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I've read one since he passed away, but I got to tell you, she got me through five years. We wow. all need a break to not think about it. And the best thing you can do for the person that that you're grieving or your family or even if someone's ill is to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is not being selfish. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you what the number one tool is, but it sounds like self-care is the number one tool for managing grief. Well, thank you so much, Janet. This was wonderful. I so appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your story and your experience. And I know a lot of people out there probably have found this very helpful. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matters. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro-outro music. Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.